Hi, everybody. Welcome to the January 25th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on State Representative Lori Sane coming under fire this week for her comments regarding lynching made during a tribute to Martin Luther King on Monday. Sane lamented that nearly equal numbers of whites and blacks were lynched since Reconstruction for the crime of being Republican. Patty Cahoon from Westward, uh, your own Michael Roberts did a fantastic history that this was not the first time that Lori Sane has ventured into uh, racially charged issues. Uh, what do you make of what we heard this week from the representative? I think her middle name may be in. <laughs> there is no question that Lori Sane has said some of the wackiest things we have ever heard in the state house and outside of the state house when she isn't busy trying to take a gun through DIA. Mm-hmm. In this case, it was not just wacky, but really insulting and wrong. If I would like to take Representative Sane to Lyman, where there is a memorial to a young African-American man who was lynched in 1900, and it was just set up in November. We have to remember this was not an equal opportunity crime. Blacks were suffered horribly. Uh, Michael Fields, executive director from Colorado Rising Action, joins us. Uh, Michael, when you get into the story, you see the point she's trying to make, the stance she's trying to make, except it sounds like she picked the exact wrong venue in trying to make that point. Yeah, I think it totally missed the mark. Um, I think it was factually inaccurate and offensive to a lot of people. You know, I grew up in a biracial family. I know that one side of my family tree faced atrocities and discrimination in a way that the other side didn't. And our country does have a a poor history in terms of racial relations, lynchings, segregation, slavery. Um, But we have made a lot of progress, too. And, you know, our past shouldn't define our future. I think on MLK Day, what you talk about is working towards a country where people are judged by the content of their character, uh, not these other factors. And so I think it was unfortunate that it ended up uh, turning out that way. Natasha Garner, Articles Editor 5280, uh, joins us. Natasha, it, it really seemed uh, the, the wrong message, the wrong point to make on Martin Luther King Day. I think it was probably the wrong point to make on any day because it's factually inaccurate and very hurtful um, to many people in, in this country. Uh, the thing that really is disturbing to me is we take this one day a year to celebrate the legacy of a person who changed this country in so many positive ways. And, and in the days, in the many speeches that were given in the days leading up to it, on the day of, on the, the subsequent days, I hope this isn't the one that gains the most attention. I hope this isn't the message that is spread unless we're learning something positive about that. And a first step might be saying, you know what, I said something incorrect. I apologize. John Bowman from Five Points News. You didn't get first whack at this, but you get to uh, <laughs> back cleanup. Uh, your thoughts on what we heard from Representative Sane. Well, whites were, were lynched for uh, stealing horses and rustling cattle and things like that um, when there was no sheriff or constable, cops on patrol around. So blacks were lynched uh, to intimidate a whole race of people who were not even considered to be human. Blacks were hung to keep the smaller white minority in charge of the ever-growing slave, slave population. And so uh, the sponsors of a bill, uh, uh, Kamala and uh, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, uh, and in December came up with a bill in the, in the House to try to, or in the Senate, to try to, uh, to do away with and, and make lynching a federal crime. That bill went to the president, and I could not find whether he signed it or not. So uh, this, this is a, lynchings were not, equal by any stretch of the neck. 
it's uh, certainly an issue that, uh, like you said, has a whole lot of contested history. It's, it's a, you make a good point. For the first time in nearly 25 years, the teachers of Denver Public Schools voted to strike with a reported 93% voting yes. DPS has asked the Department of Labor to intervene, and by doing so, the strike may be delayed by up to 180 days. DPS officials apologized for accidentally sending a letter to teachers this week that said teachers who are immigrants with visas and go on strike will be reported to authorities. Patty, if there's only if there's any way that DPS could have possibly made the situation worse, it was the release and then the apology for this letter, which I still have no idea how it got drafted in the first place. Your thoughts? Well, DPS is not operating from a position of strength right now. Let's just put it that way. Big, big vote by the Carter, uh, the Classroom Teachers Association to go on strike. Monday would have been the earliest day, but that's been postponed because of the DPS request that it go to the Colorado Department of Labor. But that was before we had this letter set out. I mean, we don't know exactly how many people it was sent to, but it was sent to enough for people to be incredibly offended and also point out that it's inaccurate. It is not the position DPS has taken before, and it's not even correct. Hmm. But um, one of the arguments for the, for the union has been that there are way too many people in administration at DPS, and I'm guessing right now that Suzanne Cordova is looking at one very specific person in the administration <laughs> and saying perhaps this may be where we're too top-heavy. Michael, there's uh, I'm a Pixar movie aficionado. There's a scene in the movie Up when the, the main character has uh, accidentally or, or whacked one of the construction workers with this cane, and that's the moment when the developer knows he has won this battle, and he puts his hand in the mailbox. I got to believe that somebody with the teachers' union has put their hand on the proverbial mailbox of DPS, saying this was exactly the, what they needed to if they wanted any sort of advantage at the negotiation table. I could be wrong. What do you think? No, I think it has a big impact on it. And you know, looking at do you care about teachers? And then when this letter goes out and says, you know what, I don't know who's sitting down thinking about, you know what, oh, if they go, we're going to go and turn them in. I think it was a really uh, weird one. I think that somebody should get fired on that or whoever went through that process should get fired. Um, but I think on, in terms of the strike in general, it's a very interesting situation uh, because I think there's good points on both sides to start out with. Um, you have incentives, I think, do matter uh, for teachers that fill hard-to-fill spots and hard-to-fill schools uh, that quality teachers should get paid more. On the other side, the administrative costs are huge. Uh, in DPS, a story came out right before the strike that said DPS is much higher in terms of administrative costs than other districts. Um, but you also look at L.A. just settled for a 6% increase. Denver's at 10 already, and they want more. So I think the district did go a long way, uh, but I think this, is, this letter is going to undercut their, their negotiating power. Natasha, hearing 93% of the vote, and again, this is released by the union. They're, it's not like it's not from the Secretary of State's office or anything like that. But even claiming 93% is a really high number. If it's anywhere near that in reality, that seems like a pretty unified teacher force. What do you think? Uh, I think, you know, I don't, I don't have any reason to question that number. And I'd be interested to see if it's, it's how historically how high the, that percentage of agreement is. I mean, they've already been talking about this for a long time. If somebody was on the fence, um, I think they would have figured that out a while ago. Um, I think the interesting thing is right now the whole city is sitting here. And, and so we wait and we wait. And it's not just the city. It's the rest of the state. What I find interesting is I was out to dinner earlier this week and I heard another table discussing it. I heard conversations on the street. I've heard employees. 
employers talking about it generally how does this impact our lives and you know this is something for instance when a school board election comes around it's kind of hard to garner interest into this topic that people feel is fairly narrow if you don't have a school a kid in the system you don't really think about the education system well this is proving much like the federal shutdown that these jobs infiltrate every aspect of our community and if you don't think you care about education guess what you do this strike will impact everyone in the city John, now the Department of Labor, uh, the State Department of Labor is involved, do you think they make a compromise happen? I, I'm, I'm not so sure. I, it, I, you would hope that that would, be the, that would be the outcome because it's obvious that the union and the DPS can't, can't, can't come to an agreement. Um, many, many were saying that Polis himself should get involved, and I wonder, did the mayor and did Susan Cordova, did, did they ask him to get involved? Um, and, and, you know, many, many want the governor, the governor to come in, but shouldn't the parties work this out amongst themselves? Uh, meanwhile, DPS, you know, they're making provisions to hire, um, you know, substitutes to cross the picket lines, and they're offering 250 bucks a, a day. I mean, that's big money. And, they're, you know, while this is not necessarily a union town, it kind of is. Uh, and so um, to, to, to entice people to cross the picket lines with that kind of money, I think that's going uh, that's going to even help force the negotiations to come to, a, to, to come to an end. Both of Colorado's U.S. senators made national headlines this week, surrounding points of view and votes regarding the federal shutdown. Senator Cory Gardner was one of six Republicans to vote for a Democratic bill that would have opened the government without funding for a wall. Meanwhile, Senator Michael Bennett fanned the rumors of a presidential run as he made news with a passionate speech criticizing Senator Ted Cruz and the president. And as we tape this at 1220 or so right here in uh, the heart of Five, Five Points, Colorado, uh, we, at least we walked into reports of a compromise being announced by President Trump. We had yet to see the actual announcement, so we're going to assume that an announcement was made that the shutdown will be over for three weeks while border security negotiations happen. If this was disproved at 1.30, and I look like a fool right now, would not be the first time. But that's what we're assuming at this stage of the game. Michael, so we might have a compromise on the table that opens the government for three weeks. But uh, votes where six Republicans crossed the line to vote with, with Democrats and LaGuardia Airport being closed because of air traffic controller issues. What do you think made this potential compromise that we assume is announced happen? Yeah, I think it's all those things, uh, TSA, uh, you know, federal employees going their second paycheck without getting paid, I think brought people to the table more. But, you know, this, does this just push off three more weeks and then we have the same exact fight again? I think we had, it's too early to know that. Um, I did something that you should never do and followed this story yesterday over social media. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was really interesting because, you know, Cory Gardner came out and said that he was going to support both bills. Um, and I was looking at tweets from the left and they're like, this is totally about politics. And then Senator Bennett gives this speech and they say he has nothing to do with him running for president. I mean, you know, everybody's kind of throwing accusations all over in these kind of circumstances. Uh, I think Cory Gardner's been pretty consistent on the fact that he doesn't want uh, a shutdown for this. He wants border security, doesn't want a shutdown. Uh, Senator Bennett, you know, is, is obviously gave a, a passionate speech uh, on, on the floor, and it got a lot of attention. Um, I think we just need to find that long-term solution. It's how do we have border security and keep the government functioning for more than three weeks at a time? 
Natasha, what do you think this might be about? Is it opening up so that we can have a State of the Union speech and we can, that President Trump can have a uh, venue to talk to Americans? Is it uh, finally realizing that, that Senate Republicans were splintering? Was it all of it? Was it none of it? Can, are we into more of, this, more of the same in three weeks? What do you think? I, I think as you're doing that, my head's just spinning. I mean, who knows on any of those counts? Um, you know, from a Colorado sp- perspective, I'm looking at who won the day yesterday. Was it Cory Gardner f- starting to maybe sketch out a plan for what his reelection campaign might look like of finding a middle ground, finding some compromise points. Um, but I'm going to have to give it to, to Bennett on this. I mean, he definitely garnered more attention. One thing that was interesting for me, and I was watching it, you know, later on, on social media, um, I, when he talked about the floods, I actually stopped for a moment. I paused it and came back to the video later. What I think was important there is that politics, we talk about it being personal. Politics is personal, of course. But he took a, a macro topic that is, seems so vague, federal shutdown, what does this mean? We talk about it in D.C. terms instead of thinking about individuals. And when he mentioned the floods, for me, as someone who's been in the state for a while, who has reported on, on topics like this, it reminded me of the individuals affected by those floods. And that's why I stopped for a moment. So what I think Bennett did well there was to really personalize how these big political decisions do have a local and personal topic, um, or it, become, it becomes a local and personal topic. Um, and he did that well, and then he did it again when he talked about eminent um, domain and how that would play out in Colorado as well. So I'm going to give the win for the day to Bennett. John, let's go there. Let's piggyback on what Natasha was saying. Do you uh, give a – who had the better – this week, Senator Michael Bennett or Senator Cory Gardner? I think Bennett, uh, for sure. I mean, as we were talking before the show went on the air, I I don't think I've ever seen Michael Bennett that animated. And uh, and the things that he was saying were were very semi-presidential if you if you if you take a look at him um you know this uh, to me this is not a partial shutdown this is more this 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 is like a soft right-wing coup that the president is trying to pull off i think i think what he is eventually going to do is bring back the people but he won't bring back eight hundred thousand he'll bring back maybe 650 and say I told you I was going to come to Washington and thin the swamp and, and, and clean out Washington, and all of a sudden we'll be down an X number of people, and that's how he plans to take advantage of situation that he caused himself. I mean, you know, I, I'm shutting this down. Blame me. Well, everybody is blaming him. If you look at the numbers of his, of his popularity now, people that voted for him, they're definitely not voting for him in 2020. Patty, what do you think between Gardner and Bennett? Uh, both of them made national headlines uh, and probably the most exciting footage from C-SPAN we've seen in a long time from Senator Bennett. What did you make of it? Well, I think we have to give Gardner the benefit of the doubt on this. I mean, he is going to have a tough re-election bid, but maybe he just did what he did because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> Get the government working again. Forget the border wall for now. Worry about security. But get the government back together. So good for him on his votes yesterday. We don't know what's happening today, but we'll find out. I'm guessing he is sticking to his position. Bennett was, it was like an episode, it was like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. (laughs) And I think he would have been willing to go on and filibuster as long as Jimmy Stewart did. He even kind of had that aw shucks thing, accusing Cruz of crocodile tears. It was really a standout performance that we haven't seen the likes of by Bennett before. With just a, a dash of that guy from Network who was mad as hell not going to take and it. And Howard Dean. I yes. mean, people were waiting for the Howard Dean screen. 
A group of Broomfield mineral rights owners, backed by the anti-fracking group Colorado Rising, filed a lawsuit this week questioning the constitutionality of Colorado's forced pooling mining law. The suit alleges the law, which has been on the books for over a century, violates property owners' rights. Natasha, uh, this was digging deep into the law book for this lawsuit, but it really seems that after the defeat of 112, anti-fracking folks are more energetic than ever. Uh, Maybe it's just Joe Salazar being involved, but what do you make of it? Well, since we've been quoting movies and TV shows, I, I, anytime I hear about this pooling um, phenomenon, I, I, there will be blood. The epic milkshake scene with Daniel Day-Lewis comes to mind. I just have him, and I won't, no spoilers. <laughs> I'll let people watch it. Um, but related to this, I think what's important is that people who thought that this topic might die down in Colorado after the election are willfully wrong. Of course, this is going to be a topic. We're seeing that, obviously, with this lawsuit today. But this conversation is happening it's still in communities and will continue to happen. And with every permit that is filed, with every um, setup that, that is made in the state. Um, the other thing that's interestingly not connected to this, but um, the Attorney General has talked about some of the new changes he's making for his office um, this week. That came out in the news in Colorado Sun was talking about how some of that is a new unit to deal with oil and gas questions. So this topic is not going away. I will predict we will talk about it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a very, one of the safer predictions made at this table, Natasha. Uh, John, do... Uh, do we think the activists are going to push Polis and the state legislature even harder this year, maybe sensing some possible momentum with uh, Democrats taking over all le- all levers of government? Well, I mean, the, the, the amendment went down, so my thought is uh, that the pooling rights, you know, they've already, like you said, they've been on the books forever, and, and the bottom line is there's protection for property owners uh, and the oil and gas extractors who are, uh, you know, extractors who are uh, required to pay for what they pool. So I don't understand, I don't understand what, what this lawsuit really is asking for. If, if this is already on the books and there's already a, a payment going back to, to, to property owners, what, what is the issue here? I'm not sure. We've already, we've already said no to the setbacks, so I, I'm not sure how this will end up. But as Natasha said, um, the governor has put in a new, a, new, a new office to deal with this issue. Yeah, Attorney General, you're right. Uh, Patty, Dan Healy, the guy in charge of Carter Oil and Gas Association, how worried does he need to be right now? Well, it's out of the frying pan into the fire when 112 was defeated and you know 74 was the poison pill on that but instead you get the all democrat legislature and the governor's mansion and so they can start pushing bills i think we're going to start seeing more bills coming soon in the meantime colorado rising files this lawsuit i'm sure in the wake of the colorado supreme court coming back with a disappointing decision for them on oil and gas so this is not the only bill i mean the only lawsuit i'm sure they have up their sleeves they're going to keep fighting on all fronts and that's going to be both in the courts and legislatively Michael, this is probably an opportune time to remind our viewers that you are, you are from Colorado Rising Action, an entirely different group than Colorado Rising. Uh, but what do you make of a lawsuit that tackles a law that's been on the Colorado books for over a century? I think they're looking for any means in order to really ban energy development here. I think there's a little concern that at the Capitol, even though there's Democratic majorities, that they might not go as far as these activists want to. And so they're trying to get out there early. Uh, it was before uh, Governor Polis was even inaugurated, they were out there asking for a moratorium on you know, new wells. Um, so I think you know, they're going to the courts is the next step. Uh, I think there'll be more lawsuits. But this forced pooling issue is interesting just because you know, it basically is in place in order to make sure that if you have 50 property owners that want to move forward, 
you have one or two that want to hold out for whatever reason, or they want 20 times the market rate for, for you know, the last few votes, uh, that that's not, you know, really uh, impacting those 50 uh, original property owners. So I think it's a, it's a complicated issue. You want to worry about property rights, but this is something that the legislature should deal with. These are laws. If you don't like the law, try to go and fix it. Let's get a quick take on this last one. The State House Health Committee voted 10 to 1 in favor of a bill that would allow autism patients to receive medical marijuana treatments. Last year, a similar bill was vetoed by former Governor John Hickenlooper, but this year the bill seems to have a higher chance of passing with Governor Jared Polis stating he would sign the bill. Uh, John, uh, your quick thoughts on this issue. You know, if we can help people um, with small doses of cannabis, why not help kids uh, now that we know it can be beneficial? Uh, cannabis can be beneficial to people. Um, and in terms of, uh, you know, PTSD to autism to, to whatever ailments there are, if it works, why not use it? Patty, if Hickelooper, why do you, we think that there's a better shot now? Why didn't, why didn't Hickelooper sign it the first time? Well, he cited a lack of studies, but there have been enough studies to indicate that if it has a chance of helping kids, why wouldn't parents use it? I mean, when their child is autistic or people who have PTSD, if you're suffering, why not? It's not like you can't go buy pot anyway. <laughs> this is just an opportunity to do it medically. Uh, uh, Michael, are we seeing the, almost the full normalization of medical marijuana at this point? I think so. Um, I sat through actually like three hours of testimony on this. Um, I didn't feel like I was more of an expert after all of that, but I think there is there was some pushback, and that's why Hickenlooper vetoed it from the medical community, saying there wasn't enough information out there. Uh, but the process does have it where two, uh, you know, two people have to approve in order for it to happen, and so I think that's why you saw bi- broad bipartisan support, and why I think uh, Governor Polis will sign it. Natasha, when did you think you would be talking about an issue where bipartisan support for medical marijuana for kids with autism? That This was not something I think we dreamed up five, ten years ago. Well, the end of that, the kids with autism, I think that's a focus. Anytime we get involved in these sort of political discussions and lose sight of who these bills are for is maybe where we go wrong. And um, I think this year we might see a different outcome than what happened last year. Makes sense. Let's head to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week, as always. Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. To return to the Colorado legislature, over a year after the Me Too cries started and and the legislature was supposed to come up with their plans and we still do not have what should be common sense rules really in place. So that's a, that's a disgrace. The fact that Harvey Weinstein continues and just hired Pam Mackey, a Denver lawyer, to join his new defense team, that's a disgrace. Let's get some of these long-running issues cleared up. Michael. Um, a Doug Coe's school teacher uh, misidentified a Kentucky high school student that was involved in the incident uh, and, and did that on social media. Uh, it was the wrong kid, uh, and so she uh, basically was put on leave, uh, had to resign from the union. But the blowback happened at the school board meeting yesterday, and they did not handle it very well. Uh, they had to get rid of, they, they had an officer take away somebody who was speaking uh, in a way that really in the past people had made similar complaints and had not get gotten taken away, so it seemed like there was a bias there. Uh, So I think this story is going to keep going on in in Douglas County. Yeah, Douglas County School Board, they escorted the guy out of the building because he named a name, which is against their policy. The next guy didn't name names and and at least uh, let him have it. It was uh, interesting. Natasha. A few weeks ago, I said the shutdown. I'm going to continue with that. Just in a world that we complain so often about how fast it moves, that it's taken more than 30 days to find a compromise, no matter what your opinion was on the topic, that it's taken this long to get our government 
potentially, possibly, maybe someday open again. <laughs> yeah, we had to close airports to do it. John? I, 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 I agree. Um, it's, it's, it's this guy in the White House delivering America to the Russians. I mean, I, I just think that this is, you know, trying to break America's, uh, American spirit and, and by putting the economy and the government and, and, and our freedom at risk. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Let me follow up with last week's comment when I said I was on my way to the airport and I was hoping things were going well with TSA. I have never had a more pleasant experience with TSA. Everyone was unbelievably cheerful, especially for people not getting checks. Everything was going very smoothly, and let's continue because I'm flying out tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Here, here. Michael. Uh, It's school choice week, and uh, a study came out that showed that Colorado had the second best uh, charter school law in the nation. Uh, So kudos to legislators past and present who have made uh, Colorado such a great school choice state. Natasha. I was traveling last weekend too, but by road, and I have to say there were just, I noticed all the CDOT workers who were doing such a good job of keeping people going where they want to go, and then this week with the snowstorms and seeing buses slogging through the morning commute, and we talk a lot about infrastructure on the show, we talk a lot about it in the state, but I was reminded this week of all the people who do make sure that whether you're traveling by foot, by bike, by rail, or by car, that we get where we want to go. John. National Bison Association, they've got a new project called the Bison One Million Project, and uh, they are actually working with Native, Native American uh, tribes and, and, and trying to make sure that the buffalo are repopulated on tribal grounds around the country. That's good to hear. Well, I want to get into the action with Say Something Nice. It's my mom's birthday this week, so you, you, you can't keep the title of favorite kid in the family if you don't say happy birthday to your mom on television. So happy birthday, Mom. Hope it was enjoyable. I also want to take a quick moment to say how, uh, how proud I am of uh, this station and what we're able to deliver to you all throughout uh, in Colorado uh, because of your support. We have some very exciting announcements coming up in February, late February. I'm just going to put the teaser out there. I know the teaser is aren't uh, always fun, but you, all of our members and supporters, have enabled this station to come out with a lot of great things. We have some new local productions coming out in the spring. We have a whole new membership benefit being announced at the end of February. All that made possible by you, our supporters. And we do not take that for granted around here. We're celebrating in February our 39th year on the air. Uh, that is pretty amazing when you see that it started out with a, a, a couple of hippies on the top of a transmitter tower, or top of a hill at, uh, with uh, some shovels building a tower. And 39 years later, we're celebrating this. It's a lot of luck. It's a lot of hard work, but it's a lot of support from folks like you. So thank you for making that happen, and we're excited about the different announcements we'll have in just the weeks ahead. That is indeed all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. Thank you so much for watching. I want to remind you that you can watch Colorado Inside Out in many different ways beyond this broadcast. We have a podcast on iTunes and Google Play. We're on YouTube with all of our different segments. We're on Twitter. We're on cpt12.org. Heck, we'd send you a transcript via Carrier Pigeon if we could. (laughs) So we are there for you anywhere, anytime, any way you want to watch this show. Please do so, the show that you help make happen. For everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.